Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks, episode 22. In this episode, I talk with Joe Tauber, and this is a special episode because Joe Tauber is not only a treasure of the Outer Banks, but he is also a graduate of Northwood High School, Silver Spring, Maryland, class of 73. I am also a graduate of Northwood High School in Silver Spring, class of 84. It's actually a funny story how we bumped into each other. It was just this last September. I'm in Plymouth, North Carolina, which is a small country town, and a football game's going on. I'm on the sideline just hanging out. Joe Talbert is one of the officials, and he stops by, and we start talking. And he mentioned something about refereeing, officiating in Maryland, and I said, well, I'm from Maryland, and uh, I, I went to high school in Silver Spring. He said, what high school? I said, Northwood. He said, so did I. <laughs> I quickly found out that his mom was the owner of a great deli we used to have down here on the Outer Banks. It was called Mrs. T's. It was at Milepost 10, and it's located right where the Staples store is currently located. As a matter of fact, Staples is the uh, business that pushed her out of business, which is disappointing, but it happens. And we had a great talk. I, I was able to get him in here and sit down and we talk about uh, how he started uh, wrestling at Northwood High School, how that shaped his life. We talk about Montgomery County connections, PG County connections. Um, he actually knew my uh, former brother-in-law, Jeff Wood. Um, I guess they went to school together at Northwood about the same time. We talk about officiating, wrestling, we talk about community service, leadership, local education, community, and a few stories in the judicial world. Anyway, I think this was a great talk. We go all over the place. I mentioned some old friends from Northwood. So I hope you Northwood people share this with other people from the school. I think everybody will appreciate it. It's not just a Outer Banks episode, but it's also a Northwood and Maryland episodes. I think you'll like this episode. So sit back and enjoy. So it's around 1999 and I'm in a deli in Nags Head. It's called Mrs. T's. And I see some old photographs of a wrestling team on the wall, a bunch of them. Uh, and they said the Wild Bunch on them too, I remember that. And I'm looking at them and I, so I asked Mrs. T who's behind the counter, I said, uh, what wrestling team is that? And you know, I think she kind of dismissed me because uh, who had ever heard of Northwood High School? <laughs> well, I had heard of Northwood High School graduate in 1984. And so we started talking about that a little bit. And uh, the next time I was in there, I saw a tall gentleman behind the counter, one of her sons. Um, and he proceeds to tell me that he wrestled at uh, Northwood High School and his coach was uh, Mr. Kuchnik, who was my science teacher, good guy. And uh, the way I was told was that uh, this young man, uh, when he was in high school wrestling, uh, was injured on a mat and started to bleed and Kuchnik grabbed him by his hair, dragged him off the mat and said, I don't want you bleeding all over my mat. <laughs> so I'm here with Joe Tauber and uh, Joe, that was your older brother or younger brother? Older brother. That's your older brother. What's his name? Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Tauber. And you both wrestled for Northwood High School. And uh, you were just telling me a little bit about that experience. Could, could you kind of sum up uh, you know, wrestling at Northwood High School back in the early 1970s? Well, uh, that was the first year uh, Jerry Williamson and Tony Kushnick took over when I was a sophomore. And as I related to you, um, you know, there was a 10-year difference between the coaches and the me anyway, 15 yeah. to 25. And so they were trying to build a program. Yeah. And so they went out and recruited kids from the hallway. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, you'd be good and this, that, and the other. And, and so they brought a number of people into the room uh, to fill the lineup. In fact, we had both a, a varsity and a JV. Right. And um, they worked us pretty hard. Uh, they wanted us to be successful, and they, they had a vision in terms of what it would take to be successful. And I, I'd say most of us, if not all of us, bought into this, their, their, what they were selling. Right. And uh, we were very successful that year. We went from like 0 and 9, I think, the year before to 9 and 3. Nice. My first year. And uh, we had a, a, our one guy took second in the state that year. Nice. Uh, he was uh, somebody that uh, I looked up to. Uh, he, was, he was a tough kid, tough guy. And uh, I kind of wanted to be, yeah. you know, reach that success that he did. Right. And how was your success uh, at Northwood High School as a wrestler? Um, I think I finished like, dual meet-wise 35-3-1. So nice. I didn't lose a lot. 
uh, I didn't like to lose. <laughs> and I wrestled uh, in the state finals at 112, and I wrestled the guy, the same guy from Montgomery County in the uh, county finals, regional finals, and the state finals. And this was a guy who was a two-time state champ through his sophomore year. So, And I always say, I just lost to a better wrestler. Yep. Uh, this is a guy that had five years' experience on, on me before I ever stepped on a wrestling mat, and right. it was just something that you had to accept. He was just, he was, you know, not that I didn't fight him. Right. And I didn't like to lose to him, but <laughs> right. he was just a better wrestler. Yeah. Was. At, the, at the end of the day, sometimes we just have to accept that, you know? Correct. It's, it's part, of, part of growing up, I think. It is. Um, and, and you kind of carried that enthusiasm for wrestling here to the Outer Banks, haven't you? I have. Uh, you know, wrestling's been a bit good vehicle for me in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I try to tell kids uh, goal setting. Right. You know, and I, I, I try to look them in the eye and tell them there's no fairy godmother that's going to take you from point A to point B. It's like what you put into it yeah. and how hard you want to work to, to uh, you know, accept those challenges and to be, you know, successful. Right. So wrestling told me you set goals and you work towards those goals. Yeah. And uh, you... You know, there's a lot of accountability and there's a lot of looking in the mirror and saying, are you doing enough to be successful? Right. And, and it's, yeah, you, you hit the, na uh, the name right on the head, accountability. It's, you know, there's only one person to really blame at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, you know, if you didn't have good coaching, you could blame your coaching to a point. But at the end of the day, it's just you on the mat. And, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, how the evaluation process is going. Well, in, in wrestling, it's, it's, it's not subjective. It's like... Uh, right, you know, performance. <laughs> yep, and it's you against uh, somebody of your similar weight. Yep, and it's like whose hand gets raised. Right, and and I'll, I'll just tell you a story. I was doing the Big Ten championship between. Uh, you're, just just you're a referee, just so everybody knows. Okay, I was refereeing the Big Ten championship, and it was an Iowa kid versus an Ohio State kid, and uh, the Ohio State kid ends up being a four-time national champ. Wow, and uh, the kid from Iowa was no slouch either he was a national champ as well but they're wrestling and uh i think the kid from iowa was favored because uh he was just favored and he he ends up losing five to two to the ohio state kid and so i bring him into the center of the match and now the iowa kid wants to fight him okay and i go i'm thinking to myself so i bear hugged the iowa kid probably because i wanted to prevent from taking a team point away from iowa and, and just to calm him down. Yeah. But I'm thinking to myself, I said, he just kicked your ass. <laughs> and now you yeah. want to fight him. And that doesn't make yeah. sense. I said, go back into the wrestling room. Yeah. Work a little harder. You had your chance. And yeah. maybe at the NCAA championship, you can beat the guy. Yeah. But, you know, anyway. So that's what, I, you know, it goes, it's that wrestling mentality that, that has, uh, is very pervasive in my thinking. Right. And so, so what have you done? Um, do, you, do you do some youth wrestling on the Outer Banks? I do uh, middle school, high school. In fact, I had a match yesterday at Northeastern. Okay. And uh, and uh, t tomorrow I'm driving up to Maryland to do a high school tournament, wow. two-day high school tournament. And then um, I do some events in Chattanooga College. Um, and then I'm doing something at the Hampton, Virginia. Okay. So I move around. I I'm still, I'm under contract with the Big Tens, but... I'm kind of winding down in terms of the traveling and stuff like that. So okay, do you do any uh, teaching? I mean, um, are you Coaching. helping the younger guys come up at all? Or no, um, I almost kind of think like they're in good hands. Okay. I, I think, and, and um, I, I just think it's so important that um, kids have that love of the sport, and um, I, I think drilling is important for wrestling, just like it is another sport. You, yeah. You've got to. It's got to be. You can't have that fraction of a second to think about what you're going to do because somebody, your opponent's going to do it. Yeah. So you, you've got to be, you, you've got to get your mind ready that you just operate. Yeah, you know, muscle memory. Thinking. Correct. Just and so that's that's what I, you know, I, I've coached before. I've coached in uh, Maryland, and uh, I actually helped coach first fight high school when I first came down here. Okay. And and I like coaching, but I also like. Uh, the, the, the benefits of wrestling in terms of the discipline, the accountability, but also making sure that they do what they need to be successful. In other words, the academics. Yeah. And, and just as a story, I walk into a locker room at Penn State or Michigan or whatever, and I do my, you know, my little discussion with the guys and what my expectations are. And just I'll look at one of the wrestlers and I go, you doing your homework? And they go, why is the ref asking me if I'm doing my homework? <laughs> 
but it's just kind of break ice the ice yeah. a little bit but but that's important to me yeah you know that in in yesterday same thing kids come out of night you doing your homework and i don't overdo it i don't i try not to overdo right. it but or embarrass anybody but it's kind of like i want to make sure they're student athletes yeah you know and that that's important to me athletes excellent athletics can teach you a lot of lessons oh, definitely yeah. yeah so let's back up a little bit tell me um your mom had a deli at Capitol Plaza in Prince George's County. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Nice. I started working for her when I was nine years old. Is that right? <laughs> I couldn't even reach the counter. Is that I right? I used to have a little box that I used to stand on to wait down. And, and were you guys living in Silver Spring? We were. And you just drive on over to Capitol yep. Plaza and yep. get going? So my dad lived in Lanham. I was born in Cheverly, which mm -hmm. is right, Cheverly's right down the street from Capitol Plaza. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember Capitol Plaza, and, and it was the place where my mom would, you know, go shopping or something like that uh, until we moved to Silver Spring. And uh, so it's funny that there's, you know, even more connections. Um, so at what point does she decide to pack up the deli at Capitol Plaza and take it down to Nags Head? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I can tell you they had, uh, they had a lot of Cuban friends. Okay. And one of her Cuban friends was an artist down here. And uh, if you go into the Wright Memorial, there are a lot of portraits that were painted by this guy. Is that right? Yeah. Louis Mess is his name. So he stayed down here, I think, during the summer months to avoid the, the heat in Florida, Miami. Okay. And so I think he convinced my parents to come down here in 1986. So um, my mother's lease, I guess, was over in Capitol Plaza, and she decided to you know, leave. Yeah. And so... My mother was one of those people that um, if she wanted to do something, she was going to do it, you know? Yeah. And, and, so, and where were you in this whole process? You were out of college by then. By that time, I was practicing law in Maryland. Okay. And um, uh, married, uh, starting family. Okay. So. And did you think this was a crazy idea? Or? No. Okay. No. You were totally on board with it. I didn't think anything my mother did was crazy. <laughs> I, I just, I, I had so much... Uh, respect for my mom and yeah. kind of emulated her sounds like she was a pretty strong woman she was extremely strong yeah that's great she was extremely strong and so she comes down here um do you know how that transition went was did she struggle off the bat or was she successful off the bat um i, I think it was a, a case of people getting to know her yeah and uh, getting to know the business but I think once they came in, and I, I have stories, people tell me stories about, you know, them going into my mom's restaurant, and... Uh, Just for a second, was it always at that location where the Staples is right yes, now? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, how how much, not only did they appreciate the food, but appreciated her. Sure. And, and, and I, I can digress a little bit. <laughs> Ever since she was in business in 64, uh, people would come into the store, males, particularly mm -hmm. and they would refer to his mom yeah and i, I, I actually got insulted by it because here's, that, that's my mother that was competition that's not your mother that's my mother so i i would call her by her first name or you know something because you know just uh but but she was so kind and generous and guys would i remember one guy coming in and said you know she would feed people if they didn't have any money yeah and um god she was just such a generous person nice and kind Nice. She can be tough, though. Oh, I imagine. I mean, sounds like she ran that place by herself, more or less, for a she long time. She did. She did. And she had certain standards. Yeah. She had high standards. Um, she and, and she expected you to yeah. keep up with those standards. And, and I looked at her, and I, I always tell a story about my mom, where, and I, I spoke at her funeral, and I said, if my mom swept the floor, or my mom mopped the floor, she would move stuff. To get behind him yeah. because this is who she was this you know her job her performance was um a reflection of her yeah so she was going to give 110 percent whatever she did mopping floor sweeping the floor whatever and the expectations were that you would do the same right and that's where i got my i'm gonna give 110 percent. right now i remember my daughter my oldest daughter came down here to work for her one summer <laughs> and my mother, you know, she's a taskmaster. She, she has certain expectations. And my daughter, I think, met those expectations and they got along famously. Good. But, um, you know, I just, I respected her for it. You know? Right. Just, I wanted to be like her. Right. So, 
when did you decide to join the family or, you know, when did you decide to come to the Outer Banks? Uh, I think it was 2013 and I was living in Maryland and um, I just decided that I wanted to be with her because it didn't seem like she had much time on the, the planet. Gotcha. Health-wise, she was doing bad. And um, so I wanted to spend time with her. Yep. Yeah, you know, I want to spend time with her. I, you know, I just wanted to spend time with her. I understand. Yeah. So I had the impression that maybe you came down here a lot earlier than you did. Um, you came here after I did. So, so the transition from D.C. to here is, you know, probably not too crazy. Um, different. It's different. Uh, less traffic yeah. most of the time. Yeah, I agree. Most of the time. <laughs> and, and, you know, it kind of like, you know, with the situation that's occurring here, you know, with the housing and stuff like that, yeah. it's like, well, any place you live and work in that Washington metropolitan area, you're, you're driving an hour and 15 minutes yeah. probably to work. Yeah. So the expectation should be down here, not necessarily that you're riding your bike to work. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Um, and, and I always say this this uh, community down here is like Manhattan. That, there's only so much of the land here right. to, to, for housing. And you get, it is what it is. Yeah. We're going to have to figure it out somehow. Somehow. It seems like you moved, obviously you were in the military. Um, so that probably bumped you around a little bit. Um, but but the OBX is still kind of your home base, even though your mom's gone. It is. I, I mean, I got uh, I ran for I came down in 2013. I ran for the school board 2014, and I won. Um, it was like a wrestling contest. <laughs> you know, I always said it's like a wrestling contest. You win by one point, you win. Yeah. And they raise your hand, and and I worked hard. I mean, I I I what I wanted to do is is like, and I've, I've we talked earlier about it. It's like. I was, I, I had a lot of success in the public school system and I wanted kids to do that too. Right. You know, and, and we have an obligation to them to right. educate them to be successful. And I wanted to be a part of that. I, I wanted to do what I could do to contribute to that. So I ran 2014 and one, and then I ran in 2018 and one. And basically when I ran in 14, I said I was only going to do two terms because I figured somebody could come in with some additional ideas and maybe move the school system little bit beyond what I could do so give pe other people an opportunity so you do you seem to do a lot of community service um, wh why is that and you know it's kind of like a payback it's almost like officiating wrestling it's paying back to right. you know things like I'm on the liquor board as well right and I was in the liquor business as well uh, so I, I know the liquor business gotcha I'm on the dare education foundation uh, and uh, that basically provides housing for teachers affordable housing for teachers, and also uh, gives grants to students to do and teachers to do things that uh, maybe aren't in the school budget for them to do, and so I'm very proud of that. I'm also on the Jeanette's Peer Advisory Council, nice. and uh, you know, I, I think it's like paying back for, for what you got, and, and it's, uh, at one time I was president of a senior citizen um, center in, in uh, Milford, Delaware. Yeah. So not paying and I, I didn't ask for any pay. It was just like giving back. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, uh, is your military background kind of, you know, I don't know. I feel like the people that embrace the military are the ones that want to serve, you know, and that, that's kind of like a community service. So is that kind of tie in there as well a little bit? I wanted to serve my country. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew from an early age that I wanted to serve my country. Um, and I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier. I was 40 years old and decided to go to airborne school. And I went to aerosol school the year before. And both schools were pretty challenging. What is that first school? Aerosol. Repelling from oh, helicopters. Aerosol. Okay, I'm with you. Right. Yeah. And uh, I did it because I was a senior officer and I was uh, basically giving legal advice to commanders. And my thinking was, well, if I'm going to give legal advice to commanders, I ought to do the things that they do. So, you know, in the military, we have badges, I guess like Boy Scouts or whatever. Right. And you wear your badges. So it's clearly obvious to the people that you're talking to that you have the same badges as they have. Okay. And so it, it basically establishes a relationship, some credibility with the people that you're now dealing with. But, so I'm 40 years old, I'm walking across um, a field, 
after airborne school training. And I go, I, I, I think about it and I go, this stuff's easier compared to wrestling. Okay. So I brought my wrestling background <laughs> in and I go, right. because yeah, I had tough training, but guess what? I'm going to go eat, go home and eat a cheeseburger. Right. I couldn't do that. <laughs> right. So you had to, you know, you always have to put things in perspective. Right. You know, so, so people talk about the, the, the banning of the military, you know, and I, I was in combat. I was, I, I actually got a combat action badge, which is kind of in Afghanistan, but, um, you know, you put things in perspective, you know, what you've done. And basically I remember as a 15, 16 year old kid, what I did with wrestling and that kind of grounds me in terms of what I can put myself through. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm fascinated by the Navy SEALs, um, the training, the weeding out process, all that stuff just amazes me. And I feel like a lot of the guys that seem to succeed, and, and this is an outsider looking in, is, you know, the wrestlers, the guys that know how to push through the pain, they know the grind, uh, they just, they just kind of get it. I mean, I don't know. Well, I was telling you about the wrestling tournament I did. In, I, I do in Hampton, Virginia. I've been doing it since 1988. They always have a SEAL team recruiting team there. Oh, do they? Yes. For high school and college. Uh, they, got, they got a table set up. For right high school and college because guys. they understand, you know, the, the discipline yeah. and the sacrifice that wrestlers generally make in their sport. And I remember there was one guy, he was a Lehigh graduate, All-American, and he ended up a three-star admiral in the Navy. But... You know, specifically, I mean, wrestling lends itself to the sacrifice that they're asking you to do as an Army Ranger or um, a Navy SEAL. So, and I remember going to Coronado for a Special Forces Legal Conference and went into the SEAL training room. And right outside the door, there's a picture of a guy. And I actually know the guy. His name's Tommy Norris. Tommy was an All-American at the University of Maryland. And Tommy won the Medal of Honor um, as a Navy SEAL. And you've probably seen the uh, movie, I can't remember, he rescues an Air Force pilot in Vietnam. And he got a Medal of Honor, I think it was 1971 maybe or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a special community, let's put it that way. Oh yeah, no yeah It's a very special community. And like you said, all the money that's spent on tr training for the Rangers and the special ops guys, uh, uh, they have, they're a lot, a lot invested in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, so they only want the best, and I get it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. No. There's nothing wrong with that. No. Because you learn that you have to depend on people. Absolutely. And and so, you know, you're only as strong as that weakest link. And uh, you don't want to be that weak link. Right. How old were you when you got in the military? 30. Okay. I'd gone through undergrad and law school. Wow. Okay. And how, how many years did you spend in the military? 21. Okay. Enjoyed every moment. And, and what, what's filling your time right now? Just officiating? Or... Um, I've got some projects going on. Yeah. I consult. Uh, and uh, I'm kind of one of these guys that given a task or a problem and it's finding solutions to it. And uh, I think one of my proudest moments was I was running humanitarian assistance operations in Afghanistan. And um, I worked with uh, officers from 44 countries. And so my thinking was, well, how do I get these guys on board to what we're doing here? And so I always looked at, you know, different languages, different cultures, different religions. And I said, what do we have in common? I mean, there are differences, but what do we have in common? Well, we have in common that we're parents and we have children and we all want our children to have better lives than we had. So right. I said, the same thing holds true for the Afghanistan people, the parents. So what are we going to do to help them have better lives for their children? So I used, uh, utilized coalition assets, mostly airlift, and donations, you know, obviously humanitarian assistance donations to deliver into Afghanistan. And, um, you know, I remember one of the speeches I gave to these people was, uh, you know, I'm a smart guy, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I said, you guys are pretty smart too. And I said, collectively, we're, you know, working together, we can accomplish some good things mm -hmm. and we did we uh, delivered 150 tons of humanitarian assistance in Afghanistan and one of my things was the United States was heavily invested money-wise in that operation during freedom and I, I wanted 
I wanted these other countries that signed up for the global war on terrorism to pony up as well. Right. So I'd make them pony up. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So obviously, you, you've got a lot of leadership. I, I could just tell you got a lot of leadership. Did this develop in law school? Did this develop in the military? Did this develop on in the wrestling room? Where did this all come from? I think I've always been a leader. Yeah. You know, I remember five years old, I used to have a gang. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty uh, scrappy. Uh, but it was enhanced in wrestling. And, and, you know, it's kind of like you have confidence in your abilities to lead. And you set the example. And, and I always say, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I had gotten back from airborne school and... Um, I won't mention any names though, but the boss <laughs> says to me, hey, see if anybody else wants to go to airborne school. So I pulled this one guy's PT card and he was, you know, if you looked at him, he was in pretty good shape. And I pulled his PT card and he goes, uh, I go, I'd like to send you to airborne school, but your PT scores are pretty low. I said, I'll give you six weeks to train up. And if you perform, I'll recommend you go to airborne school. He goes, nah, he goes, I met standards. I go, you don't want to set standards. You're, you're okay with meeting standards. Right. And he, he was just very honest. He's hard. I, pr- I appreciate your honesty, but <laughs> now we know exactly where this well, guy is. He's a Harvard Law School grad, too. <laughs> and and he's, he's a politician in Maryland. Okay. And uh, he was just elected to office. <laughs> and he, he served in other high offices in the state of Maryland. And it was just shocked me that people don't want to set high standards for themselves. They're actually content meeting standards. Right. So this, this goes along with you know, how I pr- behave every day in terms of the pressure I put on myself to meet standards or set standards, excuse me. And, you know, even when I go to the gym today, I'll be going to the gym today and it's like the expectation is I'm going to work hard in the gym. Yeah. And there are going to be results that are associated <laughs> with that working hard. Right. So, but, um, and I'm not afraid to lead. Right. I'm not afraid to lead. I mean, you've, you've got to... Be prepared to lead. Right. Was was that honed in the military at all, or like I said, I'm going to go back to wrestling. Okay. I'm, I'm, That's you fine. know, it, it was a, another vehicle. Yeah. Uh, for me to uh, learn from other people, mentors that I had in the military, uh, just like I had with Tony Kushnick and Jerry Williamson, yeah. to to learn how to be a leader, and and what was expected of you being a leader, and so. When I got to the military, it was like gravitating to people that um, were leaders. And most of my readings are on leadership, like mostly right. military leaders and, you know, Patton, MacArthur, George Washington, yeah. U.S. Grant, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, you know, how they led people. And, 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 you know, I found that there's different ways of leading and it's all based on the personality of the leaders, the leader himself or herself. So, um, you know, you can't take your personality out of it, who you are, right. but you can be a good leader. Uh, yeah. I see that in college wrestling coaches, too. I, I examine the programs, and I know they're different. The OS State coach is different from the Iowa coach, and the Penn State's different. They're all different, but they, they're they successful. Yeah. You know? They've conveyed the message somehow. They might just have different avenues Correct. or methods. Correct. Correct. Right. So, I appreciate that. And like I said, it's, it's, I study that. Yeah, you know, I think that's important. I mean, it is. It is for me. It, it's because I respect people that can lead, right? And are leaders, and um, you know, I'm, again, it's not you, you can't be fearful of leading, or you shouldn't be a leader, right? Uh, I'm. I've never been in the military, but I respect the military, and I'm, I'm just always impressed with how they produce leaders. That's in my mind. The military is not an organization that. Uh, creates warmongers it's an, an organization that creates leaders and and they just they do great things i've run into a lot of people in the military both enlisted and officers and and just the level of intelligence um that that i've come across in in understanding what the mission is and how to accomplish the mission yeah. and it's just fascinated by uh, the the level of intelligence and um that these guys bring to the table. Right. You know, it's just, just a, a lot of respect. And I just got back from Sicily. I was at a naval base there and uh, dealt with the Air Force, the Navy, and just 
just in, just the impact, you know, that you know, just the, the U.S. or the Italian. Well, I've worked with Italians before. Okay. Uh, I've worked with, like I said, the forty-four countries, and the Italians were one of them. And uh, worked with Arab countries, UAE, Kuwait, uh, European countries, and um, you know, there's certain things that occur. Uh, I, I, one story I had with the Canadians, and I didn't realize this, but the Canadians only have a, uh, at least at that time, a total force of twenty thousand people. Is that right? Active duty, yeah. And I go, well, it's a big country. You know, 20, people. So I was asking a captain to run a mission for me. And he got into, I think it was Lieutenant Colonel at the time, he got into this, well, you know, we're not like the United States and, you know, in terms of the, the amount of money. I go, I'm not asking you to, to donate anything other than a C-130 to deliver, you know, cargo to Afghanistan. And I got it from him. I got right. it from him. But, but the other thing, too, is you have to take care of your people. You know, in, right. in other words, uh, I've lectured a general officer on that. And I don't think he appreciated <laughs> it, but I said, that's how you get your stars. You know, yeah. the guys that work for you make you look good. Yeah. And, but you got to take care of them. Yeah. You know, the little things. So, um, there's some good leaders and there's not so good leaders. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. There's no guarantees, you know, and, and I think it boils down to their methods. You know, their methods are just out of whack. Yeah. Just something's not right about it. You know? Well, if it's all about them getting promoted and not right. thinking how they got there. They got to think how they got there. And it's right. not because of just solely what they did. Yeah, one of the catchphrases right now is servant leadership. It's like, if, if you want to be a leader, you got to serve, you know? I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, let's go backwards for just a second, back to Northwood High School. Um, so a good friend of mine, Rob Noonan, uh, served in the Air Force, fighter pilot. Uh, he has a question for you, and that is, he would he's curious as to what was the, the the diversity like back in the early '70s compared to maybe the '80s when he and I went to high school at Northwood. Um, we had a, a huge Jewish population. Okay. Um, in fact, my neighborhood uh, on East Crest Drive, right on University Boulevard, was probably eighty percent Jewish. Okay. And um, if you weren't Jewish, you were obviously in the minority. <laughs> But was, most, was that part of that Jewish gang you had going on? No, no. <laughs> I, it was a diverse gang. Okay, <laughs> um, it, it it was diverse in the sense that you had uh, some blue collar people, okay, you had some middle class people, and uh, you know the neighborhoods were pocked with uh, you know the middle class and maybe the blue collar communities and right. whatever. And um, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, a lot of those. Parents that they're they're uh, like my parents came from Cuba. Okay, okay. and this one guy I remember uh, I just remember the name Vito Passamani. Now how many times? What a great been, name! Yeah, Vito <laughs> Passamani. Now Vito was a, a blue collar guy went to Northwood in Sligo, um, but you know so you had that, and I think everybody got a, uh, along well. We had a very small black population mm-hmm. at, at at Northwood at that time. Um, very small his. Hispanic population at that time. Um, so, but everybody got along pretty well. I mean, you right. know, we all, you know, didn't reflect on, you know, religion or anything like that. It just right. didn't seem to be an issue. Nobody, right. I, you know, I, it, it was like who you were. Yeah. I think, you know, I think we were very diverse in the 80s and we, we all, you know, we didn't group ourselves too much. I mean, my friends were all from the whole spectrum. Sure. Um, I will say uh, we had, there was a big Asian push when I was in school mm-hmm. and uh, um, that was a big thing. But I mean, we were friends with a lot of those guys too. So, um, so it doesn't sound like it was too, too different. Um, June Monomer, uh also graduated in 84, class president, former Marine, uh, now lives out in Hawaii, works for the government. He was curious as to and I think we've kind of touched upon this about how the high school is part of your consciousness right now. And it sounds like it's a big part of your consciousness because Northwood is where you got into wrestling and where you got all your experience there. And you've already kind of told me about um, just how much wrestling means to you and, and, and your lifestyle and thoughts and everything like that. Well, and also the people that mentored me, my coaches, in terms of uh, challenging me to be the best that I could be as far as wrestling is concerned and also academically in fact i think my i got a scholarship to the same school that tony went to oh, yeah. my coach tony kushnick uh and 
which is Edinburgh, Edinburgh in PA. Yeah, big on, big wrestling school. Yeah, right? I was there on a wrestling scholarship, and it's like I had to make a decision to transfer back to Maryland. And I, I just at that point in time, I couldn't do the academics and the wrestling because I knew I got recruited as an 18 pounder and 126 pounder, and I weighed 154. <laughs> <laughs> I go, it's I'm, funny just, how that I'm not going to do this again because <laughs> it was it was pure torture. I just didn't think, and I have a lot of praise for. For the uh, Division One wrestlers in particular that can can juggle that schedule to yeah. cut the weight and do the academics. So, as I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of respect for those kids that that can do that, and it's not easy. It's really not easy because it's any Division One uh, athlete is there's, there's a lot of demands on your time. Yeah, and juggling that schedule is is very impressive. Right, but. Um, I think I'd mentioned, uh, you know, as I said, uh, I had lived with my coaches during the season. <laughs> <laughs> so, but just just for the record, because I don't think we recorded that part, uh, uh, Joe had to live with his coaches so they could keep him from food. <laughs> Basically, that was it. And then I think I told you my brother wrestled 185, and I was the 98 pounder or the one, yeah, 98 pounder. And so I was cutting a lot of weight. And I actually had a refrigerator downstairs, and uh, my own refrigerator where I put stuff for me. And yeah. I had to put a chain around it because my brother <laughs> would go into it. And, and I popped my brother. I got mad at my brother. I popped him in the ribs, broke his ribs. Really? Yeah. That's yeah, because he went in my food. That's pretty... <laughs> hey, I'm a little territorial too, so maybe we should stay away from food today. <laughs> but that's that's hilarious. Um well, you, you learn what's basic in life, though. Right. You know, eating and drinking is <laughs> survival. You, you take that away from somebody, it's, it's survival, it might baby. start a fight. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's like I said, if, as long as you have food once in a while, I'm okay. Right. You know, it's a very basic thing, basic right. need. So just because uh, I'm probably going to share this podcast with a bunch of my Maryland friends, uh, you still go up to Maryland quite a bit to officiate. Uh, you officiate some wrestling up there, a little bit of football. No, no football, just wrestling. No? Okay. Like this this weekend, I'm going to uh, Howard County to referee. And then two weeks ago, I think I was at McDaniel College doing a Division three tournament. Right. And, I mean, I've gone up to University of Maryland done uh, uh, wrestling at, at Maryland. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story if I could. Yeah. I started refereeing in 1976. In 1978, I'm a junior at University of Maryland. No, he was a junior University of Maryland. But I get assigned to do the Maryland-West Virginia match. So I'm in Coalfield House. I can't believe they let an underclassman... Well, here's, here's the rest <laughs> of the story. So, so I'm at the table, and the guy goes, well, before the match, we announced the referee and what school he graduated from. So he goes, what's your name? I go, Joe Tauber. He goes, what school did you graduate? I said, I'm a student here at the University of Maryland. He goes, I can't say that. <laughs> so he goes... What high school? <laughs> so he goes, today's referee is Joe Tauber from McGill University, Toronto, Canada. So he, he put me as far away from Maryland as yeah, he right. could. Now, of course, the Maryland ref uh, coaches knew me, and uh, the West Virginia coaches knew me too. So, yeah. But... but it, it's the way it was. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. That's funny. Um, so wrapping it up pretty uh, soon here. Uh, anything you want to promote on the Outer Banks? Any any special projects you got going on? Any? Uh, um... Well, uh, from from the DEF perspective, Dare Education Foundation. Uh, obviously, we have the house teacher housing, and um, we're looking at. The, building eight more units at that Run Hill uh, unit that we have now. Okay. Uh, I think there are 24 units there. And um, we'd like it to make it um, affordable for teachers to come into the uh, into the community right. that are, are, are maybe uh, just getting out of college right. but can't afford to live here. So the Dare Education Foundation found, uh, provides a, that affordable housing for them. And um, so we're contemplating building eight units, eight more units. Uh, we've got uh, 12 units down in Hatteras. We have 24 now oh, wow. in, in uh, KEH. And we want to build an additional eight. But, you know, with the housing materials and labor that's going on now, it's, it, it, we, we've got to make sure that it's affordable for 
JR Education Foundation. Right. And um, talked about bringing the JRTC program here. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. What branch? Um, well, that, <laughs> that's, you know, four years ago I discussed it. I, I wanted, actually I saw, I went up to Camden and studied their program. Okay. And uh, I just wanted a program. It didn't matter. But yeah. Air Force would be the right program sure. because this is the birthplace of aviation. Of course. Yeah. So it just makes sense. So I kind of pushed them this time, this year, to get a JRTC program um, here. Where this, where the points of friction? Is it the Board of Ed? Is it the superintendent? Is it the military? Or is it, you know, just everybody has to come to the table? That's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Sounds like a question we might want to avoid or no, save it for a later no, day. I, I don't avoid questions. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm a big believer in JRTC program. And, and I am because it gives kids options. Mm-hmm. Kids that may feel that they don't have other options in the public school system and you lose them. But this offers an option to them. And it doesn't say that you go into the military, but it exposes you to the discipline, the accountability, and things of that nature, which a lot of kids need. And so um, if they can can learn from that that, uh, program, then then let's give it a shot. I mean, the government splits the fee with us, basically. Okay. You know? Um, And so... um, I've been pushing it for years. Okay. I've been pushing vocational training for years because, and I say this, it's like, okay, what are the metrics for success in a school system? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, the metrics seem to be graduation rates and um, how many kids going to college, at least in Deer County. Right. So I think you can hand anybody a piece of paper saying they're a high school graduate. Right. Okay. And then if you've got 60% that are going to college, then my concerns are, well, what about the other 40%? Right. What are we doing for them? Right. I mean, we're obligated to teach everybody, not just the kids that are going to college. So teach them skills that they, I mean, you know, I, I talk, I've talked to a business owners here and they go, well, kid that comes, works for me for, to, you know, anywhere from one to four years can make 65 to $95,000 a year. Nice. Now that's middle class. Yeah. You know? And I think, and I, I've said this before, the universities have convinced parents you can't be middle class unless you go to college. Right. So parents are going, my kid's got to go to college. Right. Well, no, he doesn't. If that's not his interest or her interest, then, you know, maybe the trades are their interest. Right. But, but we have to provide those services. And I, I, I almost was mentioned this before. I went like standalone vocational training school. Yeah. You know, on the Dare County, Kirtuck County line. So we could share it, yeah. the expenses with the, the, the two counties and, but my concern was about 40%. I've, I've had conversations with superintendents, our superintendents. I go, kid walks up to our school system and doesn't really like school, but we have to market that there's something inside that school system right. that's going to benefit the kid. Right. And Otherwise, why is he going to want to get up and go to school? Correct. Right you know, other than, you know, he's placating his parents because he's going to get that piece of paper. But what's it mean to him? Yeah. And, and that's what I always question here. Are we doing enough to make that piece of paper worth something to that kid? Right. And so I've worked with COA uh, to expand their uh, vocational training courses. And, um, you know, uh, the, the other thing, too, is that like that apprentice school in Virginia. Yep. It's a great oh my school. It's free. You get paid to go to school. One of my lacrosse players yeah. went up through there. And what he was making by his second year mm-hmm. was it was almost six digits. Yeah. It was like $90,000. He right. was making his second year out of high school. Right. So, so we have to be a little smarter. You know, like I said, I came through the public system myself. We all both went to Northwood, obviously. But are we doing enough for, for everybody? Right. You know, and I think it just takes a little effort for that, say, 40%. Uh, I, I, I wrote an article about six years ago. It's uh, Earn While You Learn. For those kids that have no expectation of going to college, you work half a day, you go to school half a day. Yeah. But you learn a skill. Yeah. And you come out and, again, you know, the parents' ambition for their children is at least middle class. Yeah. You know? And, and so, um, and they don't incur the debt that they do by going to college for four to six years and coming right. out with a piece of paper that doesn't guarantee them a job. Right. And I will say one thing about my children is that when they went to college and they were going to go to college, that they were going to get a degree in something that makes them marketable. Right. 
Okay, not just a piece of paper. Yeah. There either, you know. But um, so again, as a school board member and as a community member, we have an we have uh, an obligation, you know, to make sure our children are successful. And that's one of the things, you know. Again, coming back to the wrestling, what it takes to be successful. Yeah. And and the dedication, the uh, you know hard work, and uh, so. Yeah. A simple little story. So, uh, for years, I owned a water sports business, and uh, once in a while, when you're fixing a, a kayak or a sailboat, you got to use a, a pop rivet gun. And I have a pop rivet gun laying around, and and multiple times I would ask a college kid, "Hey, uh, you know, here's a pop rivet gun. You know, go fix that thing." They had no idea how to use a pop rivet gun. Yeah. But I learned how at Eastern Junior High in Silver <laughs> Spring, Maryland. Mr. Warner, the industrial yeah. arts teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll also tell you a story. Uh, when I was going to University of Maryland, I was working at a liquor store on Kenilworth Eastern Avenue. And it was, uh, it opened up at 6, 6 a.m., closed at 12 a.m. <laughs> so, so one of I the, hate to ask who was showing up at 6 a.m., but keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a tiny hole in the wall business, but it, it was a very profitable business. And so I graduated from the University of Maryland and I said to my boss, I said, you know, Sam, I, uh, Sam was lived in Chevrolet, by the way. Okay. And I said, Sam, I said, I learned more from you than my four <laughs> years at the University of Maryland. Isn't that funny? I said, I should have been paying you tuition. Right. Exactly. And, and, and uh, you know, just how to deal with people. Yeah. How to deal with people. And, you know. For me to get through Maryland and into to law school was just checking boxes, right? You know, and so, but what did you actually learn uh, in terms of experiences? You know, you you learn, you know, law school you you learn analytical skills, teach like um, think like a lawyer and things like that, right? Um, but it's dealing with people that's the important part. I, I communication, uh, yeah. and and I use that with wrestling a lot. When I have, you know, 15,000 people screaming at me and I got coaches coming to the table, it's like how you communicate with them. And yeah. it's like, and I, I tell people I run a, a wrestling match, like a courtroom and I'm the judge and the uh, coaches are the attorneys for the, 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 the athletes. For their clients. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I expect them to advocate for their clients. Right. But it's how they, you know, yeah. how they do that. And if they come over the table and it's like, you know, hey, look, I, I saw something different and I can give them my viewpoint what I saw. Well, you can agree to disagree, but you're not calling each other's names right. and stuff like that because that goes nowhere. And um, I remember having a conversation with a, school, uh, a constituent here who didn't agree with me on my masking policy. And um, so I said, look, you know, there are very few facts in the world. There are a lot of opinions. I said... My opinions are, are different than your opinions, obviously. I said, but we can have a conversation, we can have a discussion, and you can tell me what your opinions are, and I'll tell you what my opinions are. And that doesn't make my opinion right or your opinion right, but we're just having a dialogue here. Right. So so it's kind of like, you know, with wrestling or anything like that, you're having a dialogue with per, a person because they're asking you a question. It's like, let's have a dialogue. I'll tell you what I saw. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, we can agree to disagree, but let's keep it professional. I don't need to call you a name because you disagree with me. And, and that's the problem we get into, I think. When you're trying to have a discussion with somebody and then you make it personal. Right. It's not personal. It's like we can agree to disagree. Right. And, and just keep the name calling out of the equation. I, I just finished a great book on negotiations. And it was written by a former FBI negotiator. And I think the one of the big points brought from that book was talk with empathy, you know, don't attack because once you attack somebody verbally, they get defensive mm -hmm. and everything goes down the crapper really quick. But if you show a little empathy and, you know, keep your cool, then that aggressiveness, that ego kind of gets put in the back seat and you, then you can talk and actually solve problems. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because like I said, with wrestling, you've got guys that, you know, national champs, gold medal winners that are that are competing in college still and the coaches have certain expectations and it's like okay well I've got to be the guy that comes in there that's composed 
Yeah. Okay, doesn't lose my composure. And so also the reminder I give to the athletes, take that split second to think about what you, before you say or do something right. that can get you into a jam. So, so let's think about what we say or do before we say or do it. And um, I do love negotiating, you know? <laughs> you've probably You've probably developed those skills pretty well uh, uh, through law school and well, working with corporations and all that other good stuff. Yeah. Um, I've, I've settled a lot of cases. One of my clients was Safeway Supermarkets. Mm-hmm. So we, I used to get a lot of slip and falls. Oh, yeah. And, and my objective was to know more about the person suing my client than the attorney representing that okay. client. So I could always, you know, I always had more information on, on their client because they, they I, I don't want to say they were lazy, but just, they just had a, a large volume of cases and they weren't overly concerned about this individual right. client that they had. And, and I was like trying to protect my client's interests. Right. So I would do, make sure that I knew more about their client than they did. It, you know, and that was another point brought up in the negotiation book was, you know, what does this person really want? You yeah. know, they come to the table asking for something, but maybe there's a motivation. Maybe there's something else, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and that's what they talked about. They talked, do, do the homework, yeah. find out as much as you can. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've also learned in negotiating, never make the first offer. Right. <laughs> right. And, and like you said, find out what they want. Yeah. And then, and then you can counter, you know. Right. Uh, so. And there's even tricks. If I ask you, what, how much do you want for that? There's tricks to you know, deflect that question sure, and circumnavigate it and then spin absolutely. it around. So, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, just telling you one of the stories I had with one of the judges in Baltimore City. I was trying to case in Baltimore City for Safeway. And uh, we were in the settlement process. And this judge had a history of being uh, very intimidating, right. especially female uh, attorneys. Sorry, sorry here. But anyway... So I'm, I'm going to a settlement conference with him in Baltimore City, and we're sitting down, and he looks at me. He's like six foot four. looks at me and says, call your client up and get X amount of dollars. I go, I'm not calling my client up until I understand that this is what the plaintiff's attorney is going to settle for. So he makes both of us go out, right? So I call my client out in California, and I go, this is a settlement judge. It doesn't mean anything, right? So, and, and this is, you know, you learn from wrestling. You don't back down. Right. You know, um, but he, uh, so I come back and I tell my client, I go, he's not, he's a settlement judge. He's not going to try the case. So I don't think the case is worth this much money. So I go back to the judge and I go, we're not settling the case. We're going to trial. So I get a call from the clerk's office on Friday. You want to trial on Monday and guess who the judge is? <laughs> the same guy, <laughs> which oh. is unusual, but he particularly assigned this case to himself so he could help his buddy, uh-huh. who was a lawyer. Okay. So I'm in chambers, and I go, uh, Judge, I'm going to ask you to recuse yourself. And, 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 and one of my friends who was also on the bench with him said, be prepared for World War III. <laughs> so he goes, uh, you know, what's the basis? So I said, you know, you've had a 30-year relationship with the guy, and blah, 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 he shared office space, and so on and so forth. And I go, I don't think my client would get a fair trial. So, of course, he denies my motion, and we go out. He goes, let's put it on the record. So we go in the courtroom and we got the stenographer taking notes and I'm cross-examining a judge, which doesn't happen every day. Wow. But I'm not backing down because right. I think my client deserves a free off trial. So he goes, um, you know, so I, I, I start questioning about his relationship with the um, attorney. Well, what the judge forgot to tell me in chambers was that this attorney had represented him on a personal injury case. No. So the attorney said, well, Judge, I think you better get out of the case. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, but I wasn't backing down. Yeah. I wasn't backing down. I was putting it on the record. And then um, next time I saw the guy, he goes, um, how did he phrase it? He goes, uh, no offense taken or something like that or whatever about his. Okay. No. You know. Yeah. As long as you give my clients fair trial. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So, but I wasn't backing down from the guy. Right. And and that's a total wrestling move. I mean, you just can't can't be intimidated by right. people. There's nowhere to hide. You can't leave. You know, you're not going to leave the mat early. That's not even an option. Yeah. You're just going to have to finish it out. You know. Well, one of the things I've learned, like, I'm gonna, I'm going to drop some names here. Okay, General Tommy Franks. Worked with him. Uh, I've I've met congressmen and all that stuff. It's like you know what? 
they put their pants on just like we do. Right. You know what I mean? You look them in the eye and, and uh, I'm not intimidated by somebody that has a title. Right. And, and it's like, um, don't, don't try to tell me I'm wrong just because you have a title. Right. And, and so, Tommy Franks was a great guy. Yeah. I just, he, I'm walking down the hall opposite directions. The guy thumps me in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> Good leader. Great leader. Yeah. Great leader. I mean, just, uh, you know, let you do your job. Nice. You know, I mean, that's what you want. Let, let, let them, uh, you know, you, you do your job. And Did, do you have any mentors uh, that, you know, in the military or in law school? Or? I, I have uh, one guy I still keep up with. He was a JAG. Um, and you were talking about FBI agent. He was a former FBI agent, counterterrorism guy. Okay. That I still keep in touch with. Um, and I was a captain at the time. He was a, a full bird colonel. And I'm sitting at the table with him. One of the things that he said at that point in time was, um, when you leave someplace, make it better than when you found it. Right. And I still remember that. And I still live it, you know. Right. In, in my... Am I putting in what I'm doing better than when I found it? Right. And uh, I, I'm so grateful for all the people that I've had that uh, were my mentors. And, nice. and uh, I've had, I've had, I've been very fortunate to have some great mentors. I right. Mean, my mother. Sure. Um, my wrestling coaches, mm -hmm. uh, the army, uh, some attorneys, some judges. In fact, one of my friends in Baltimore City. Um, if I had another older brother, he he, he, had, he was just a, a, yeah. a very profound, smart man, and I, I learned a, a lot from him. And I'll tell you a little story about him if you yeah. don't mind. Um, he's trying to murder a case in Baltimore City, and uh, so I come in the courtroom, looking like a lawyer, and he sees me. He goes, "Mr. Topper, can you please approach the bench." So I have to climb up the step to get to where he is on the bench, and. Uh, Puts his hand over Mikey and goes, I'm gonna play golf tomorrow. <laughs> nice. I go, you're in, judge. <laughs> so we go out. And, and and you know, the thing was is that you have relationships with judges, but you didn't expect special treatment, you know? Right. You know, just if, professionals. If they're professionals, they be professional. Do their you know? job. And if my my case isn't good enough, then I lose. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. And uh, but I will tell you another story if you don't mind. Good. Howard County, district court uh, circuit court judge. Uh, we're trying to case, and um, I got a client who's a, who's a bad actor. Put shoves a sawed-off shotgun in another guy's um, chest on a drug deal. Jeez. So uh, they they the jury convicts my client, and judge turns around and gives him 17 years, and he says, you know, basically you come out of the ghettos of Baltimore and come into our pristine county and commit these crimes. And I go, whoa, didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the Baltimore Sun is in the courtroom and they report it. And so I get a call from the Judicial Disabilities Commission about that comment. And I go, well, I certainly wouldn't have made the comment. I said, but, you know, I think he gave my guy a fair trial and he gave him what he thought was an acceptable sentence. So anyway, I, in the meantime, I get deployed to Afghanistan, and I come back, and there's a little placard on the judge's bench. It says, like, $14,000 and change. And on the other side of the placard, it says, don't say a word. <laughs> well, that's what it cost them to get out of that gym. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Who, who fined them? Uh, the Judicial Disabilities Commission. Okay. Yeah. Well, it wasn't actually a fine. It's what it cost legal, his legal costs okay. to defend against right, it. Right, right. And so... Um, you know, it's kind of like you learn in court, like good judges, bad judges, and the good judges control the courtroom, but do it in a respectful manner. You know, they treat right. people well. So you still think he was a good judge? He just made a offhand comment he should not have made. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and he couldn't. He couldn't contain himself. It couldn't. You know, he would make comments like I was trying another case in front of him. Okay. So he he had a habit. Of he had a habit. <laughs> and and I'll tell you the other case. I'm representing a company out of Jersey. And it was a, a plaintiff who claimed that um, he was assaulted by the manager. And so we're in court and we're picking a jury and the jury comes in and the judge looks around and he goes, there's not enough minorities on the, in the court and on, on the jury pool. So, and, and the uh, plaintiff was a minority. 
And so I go up to the judge and I go, Judge, this is Howard County. Yeah. Population 7% minority. I go, it's well represented back there. Yeah. So he goes, well, I'm going to postpone the trial until we get a better pool. So um, <clears throat> I said, well, what happens if we come back and we have the same number here? He goes, we're going to try the case. Well, I found out the judge had a tea time. <laughs> so I said, Judge, you owe me. Yeah, really. I'll let it slide, but you owe me. Oh, man. So I, there's kind of things that, you know, just you could write a book on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of irk you a little bit. I get well, it. Well, you kind of have to go with the flow. Right. You know, you, know, you got to you know, pick your fights, right? Yeah. I'm going to be in front of him again. Right. So pick your fights. Yeah. Well, Joe, the, the, the show is called Treasures of the Outer Banks. You're definitely a treasure. Appreciate you uh, coming out today and, and, and sharing those stories. That's great. Your mom, definitely a treasure. Uh, probably a treasure back in PG County, Montgomery County, and, and even Dare County. So, uh, so great to connect with you. Um, just definitely made my day. I, I, I appreciate you coming out. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. My pleasure. A big thank you to Joe Talber for sitting down and talking to me. Always a pleasure. You know, he was here for 10 years and I never realized he was a grad of Northwood High School, which means I should probably really pay attention and get to know some of the people on our school board. But it was great catching up with an old Northwood alum. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, you can leave a, a review at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. I would greatly appreciate it. And since this is the last podcast before Christmas, I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy it with friends and family. And until next time, make it a good one.